Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. We know that Jesus is coming back. It could be soon. It's been a long time since he left. It's been 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years, and um, he could come at any moment. The Bible tells us that the first event on the prophetic calendar, I believe, is the rapture of the church, and that means Jesus will be taken up, or we'll be taken up with Jesus. He'll meet us in the air. We'll be taken up with him. And then following that will be a tribulation period upon this earth. Following that, Jesus is coming back with us from heaven, and he'll come back to set up his kingdom on this earth and destroy all of his enemies. And so Jesus is coming back. We're looking forward to that, and, and John mentions that in the passage we're going to read uh, this morning. So follow in your Bibles as I read 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Let's pray. Father, I ask today for enablement to bring this message We know it's a very important message because you're coming back to receive us into yourself. And Lord, we thank you that when that happens, you're going to change us. May we understand that now and the realization of that, Lord, may it make a difference in the way we live now. And may we be found as you want us to be found when we we see you. Help us not to be busy, Lord, in, in the... Uh, things that displease you, but help our life to be focused on things that please you. We're going to see you someday, so help us to be ready for that. Thank you, Lord, for this message, this passage. Use it to speak to our hearts, give an able to bring the message, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As John wrote his first epistle, He encouraged his readers to keep in mind that Jesus was coming back. And since he was coming back, they should be living in a way that pleases him. Great shame would be experienced by Christians who were were living an unrighteous lifestyle if they were living that way when Jesus returned. They knew Jesus, but they were not living the way they should. And, And John says that if that happens, they'll be very ashamed. We notice that in chapter 2. Look at verse 28 and verse 29. And now little children abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may be confident, we may have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. So we are to be people involved in righteousness. The same is true of us today, as John said to, his, to people he was writing to. Knowing that Jesus could return at any moment should have a profound effect upon the way we live. We do not want to be ashamed before him when he comes. So because of that, how then should we live? And that's what I've titled the message. How then should we live? Since Jesus is coming back, how should we live? 
from this passage, I want to give you some things to think about. Since Jesus is coming back, we should live as loved people. As loved people. I mean, we are loved by God. We should live like people who are loved by God. Notice what it says, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. In this life, we often have seen children, I'm sure you have, who have parents that really don't love them. They have parents who really don't pay them much attention, don't discipline them the way they should, sort of let them grow up in the way, any way they want to, and they don't uh, keep them from doing bad things, and they just don't love them the way they should. The result of that is, is usually that those children become rebellious. Those children become those who lack character. And those children many times are those who have selfish attitudes because they're not raised by loved parents. But we who know God as our Savior, as the Lord as our Savior, are loved by God. I mean, we're very loved by God. And the fact that we're loved by Him should be seen in our life. We should, we should act like people who are loved by God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse, verse 1 and 2, Be ye therefore followers of God. And that word followers means imitators. Uh, be those who mimic God or imitate God. Be followers of God as, lo- as dear children. I looked it up, and the word dear children is the, word, is the root word agape. In other words, loved children. Uh, be followers of God as loved children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. So we who are loved should walk in love. And so we should live as loved people, people who are loved by God. It should be evident to everybody who sees us that God loves those people and it shows in their character. Loved people have a positive self-image. Uh, The Bible says we are loved by the one and only true God of the universe. There's only one God, and he loves us. God so loved the world. God loves us. He loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And we can say that to anybody. But for the Christian especially who's received the Lord as their Savior, they've accepted his love. God loves us in a very special way. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we're loved by the eternal God, and that should make us feel great because that should give us a good self-image because we're people loved by God. We have the the awesome privilege of talking to God, and we as Christians can talk to God any time. I'm sure you do that. I I do that. I'm sure you do that as well. Talk to God uh, through the day. Something happens. You say, thank you, Lord. And the uh, Lord protects you something. Maybe you almost tripped or almost fell or something, and you, and you didn't. You caught yourself, and you say, thank you, Lord. And then problem comes up, and you say, Lord, I need your advice. I need your help. And you talk to the Lord all the time. Then you mess up. You sin, and you say, Lord, I'm sorry. I sinned. Please forgive me. And he promises that he will. You talk to God all the time. That's, that's a great privilege. And so we, as, as God's people, should have a positive self-image because we're very important to God. And he loves us. We have the great privilege of serving him. We're servants of God. Can you imagine that? That we had the privilege of serving the almighty God. And the Lord says, that's true because I love you. I love you. 
We are his children. The Bible says in Romans that, that we've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. An endearing term, we call him Father. And uh, the Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. So we're no longer children of the devil, we're children of God. And so we should live as loved people and have a positive self-image because we are special. We're God's children. He died for us. He loves us that much. So we have a positive self-image. We also have confidence as God's children that are loved by him. We have confidence. We don't have to worry about things because the Lord says, I'll work all things together for good to those that love me. We've studied recently Romans and Romans 8, it tells us that in verse 28, all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And so God works things together for us. He says in, in verse 31 of that passage, if God be for us, who can be against us? So here we are as loved people. We have a good self-image because God loves us. We have, we have confidence because God's working things together for our, for our good. And he says he's for us all the time. There's never a time when God is against you, he's for you. If God be for us, who can be against us? So we have confidence because of that. We also have, have the promise that he provides for us. In verse 32 of Romans 8, it says this, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. If he loved us that much... That he, did, that he didn't spare his son, but he delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So we should be people with confidence because God's going to take care of us. He's going to never leave us, never forsake us. He'll work all things together for good, and he'll take care of us provide, by providing our needs. The Lord will take care of us, and that makes us confident. We also have assurance. As God's people who are loved by him, we have assurance he says that he justifies us. That means he declares us righteous. And because he's de declared us righteous, he said, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So he'll never condemn us. We don't have to worry about dying and going to hell. We're we people that are assured of that because God says that nothing can separate us from his love. And he's a wonderful God who takes care of his own. And so we are loved people and we should act like it. Also, loved people love other people, especially Christians. Love, loved people love Christians. And the Bible says it in, often in 1 John. Let's look at some of those passages. Chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we've passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth, not in, abideth in death. It troubles me when somebody claims they're a Christian and they don't like to go to church. They don't like to be around Christians. The Bible says if you love the Lord, then you're going to love other Christians. And so that's just normal for the child of God. Look at also what it says in, in verse 15. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and, and ye know that no murdereth hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought also, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. For whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So children of God are to love children of God. Look at what it says in chapter 4 of 1 John, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. Look at verse 11. 
He says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby we know, know, know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in him. And we know and, be, and, and we have known and believed the love of God, the love that God hath for us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. In other words, he's talking about Christians loving. We're to love people. We love God. We're to love people. Look at what verse 20 says. If a man say, I love God, and hate his brother, he's a liar. And he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? So God says we are to love one another. And so a person who's uh, a loved person has a great self-image. We have confidence, we have assurance, and we love other people. And because of that, uh, we, it's very evident that we're a child of God. We're loved, we're, we're, we're a people of love. We also are a privileged people. Notice what he says in 1 John chapter 3 again. He starts by saying, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. How should we live? We should live as loved people. We should also live as privileged people. We are the sons of God. We are sons of God. Now, if we're, if we're a, a people who are loved by God, it's going to be very evident in our life. And also, we're going to realize that we are privileged. We are sons of God. Now, I believe that God wants us to act like sons. The word son means it's the, it's the result of being adopted by God. When God adopts us unto his family, he not only makes us his children, he makes us his sons. And adoption has the idea of God makes, places you as in the position of an adult son with all the rights associated with sonship. And so we are sons of God. We have the privilege of standing with God, of our standing with God. We have that wonderful privilege. Who are we? We're sons of God. And because we're sons of God, we have the privilege of a relationship with him. We call him Father. He's our Father. We have the privilege of an inheritance. In Romans 8, he says, we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So we're sons of God, and we have that wonderful privilege of being a son of God. So how should we live? Well, we should live as people who are loved, and we should live as people who are privileged, and that is we are sons of God. Now I'm going to ask you something. If, uh, we're, if we are loved people, and we're to love God and love each other, then why is it that churches go through splits? I heard recently of a church that had a whole lot of other members come, and the, found out that it was all from one church. Well, you know, it's good to have church growth, but that's not the best kind of church growth. Because what normally happens when people leave churches and split, it's because they're not exercising love one to another. Now, sometimes there are exceptions. Sometimes it's a doctrinal issue. Sometimes it's things that are just not being done right, and people have to leave who really want to do right. I understand that. But a lot of times, church problems are caused because of lack of love. 
We don't act like the sons of God that we are. We don't treat other people as if they're sons of God. We don't treat them as, as, as a privileged people who are part of this wonderful family of God. It's like we're in two different families and we can't get along and we divide. That's a very sad thing to see. But it's not only true in churches, it's also true in marriages. How many marriages are broken up just because of a lack of love? I mean, people don't love each other. A man and a wife gets married and they love each other and then they, then they lose their love. They, fall out of, they fell in love and then they fell out, fall out of love. The Bible says the husband's to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And that love is an enduring love and we're to love one another. But sometimes that just doesn't happen in, in families and they break up because of a lack of love. But not only does the Lord say the husband is to love his wife, Ephesians 5, but it also says the wife is to love her husband in, in the book of Titus. The older women are to teach the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children, to love their husbands. So it's a lack of love that causes so many times a breakup in marriage. If we would treat each other right, it would, it would solve a lot of problems that we have. I've often said that there's a lot of, lot of problems in homes that could be, saw, that could be remedied by, the, by this one thing. When the Lord says in Ephesians chapter 4, be kind one to another. Be kind one to another. So your wife's in a bad mood, and, and uh, so you don't like the way she's acting, so you respond in the same way, and you just at each other, and you're arguing at each other. Uh, why not try some kindness? Why not realize that maybe your wife's had a bad day and, you know, I, we don't agree with everything that's happened and she doesn't, she's not acting the right way, but I love her and I'm going to be kind to her. And the wife the same way. The husband comes home, he's had a rough day and he takes it out on her and what she do? She just goes back at him and there you have it, that, that fight. They're not loving each other, not showing that love. But we should be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. So Jesus is coming back. And since he's coming back, how should we act? How should we live? We should live like people who are loved. I mean, he loves us. Have you been always faithful to Jesus? Have you always been what you should be for Jesus Christ? Have you always obeyed him? No. So... Uh, why, why do we have the right of responding to people in a way that, that is wrong because they wronged us? The Lord doesn't do that to us. Aren't you glad that God is not that way? Aren't you glad God doesn't hold grudges? Aren't you glad that he forgives you even though you don't deserve to be forgiven? Aren't you glad that he says, if you'll confess my sin, your sin, I'll be faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness? I'll be faithful. That means he always will. Day after day after day after day, he'll forgive. So since we uh, know Jesus Christ as our Savior, and since he's coming back and we're going to stand and give an account uh, for him, of the way we've lived for him, how should we act? We should act as people who are loved, loved by God. We should act, act as privileged people, sons of God. We're sons of God. Also, we should act in another way. This passage tells us that we should live as people who are unknown. Unknown. Notice what it says. Therefore, the world knoweth us not. 
because it knew him not. The world knoweth us not because it knew him not. They knew not who Jesus was, but he did not need their approval. He went ahead and did what he's supposed to do and he was going to do, even though it, I was reading just uh, this morning how he responded to those that were against him. And uh, they were getting ready to put him to death and his response to those people. And uh, he didn't need their approval. Uh, one said, you know, don't you know who I am? Don't you know I can do this? And uh, the Lord doesn't respond back. He, he knows that they don't like him. He knows they're his enemies. Uh, and they, they was unknown to them who he was. You know, the world's that way to us. They don't realize who we are. But uh, we don't need their approval. Uh, we should just go ahead and do what God wants us to do and live the way God wants us to live and to be unknown people. Be glad to be unknown by them. That's okay if we're not known. It's okay if we don't have their approval. It's okay if we don't have their, uh, their blessing on everything because they don't agree with us. That's all right. We're unknown by them. The Lord says don't be surprised by the fact that the world doesn't like you. Look at John chapter 15. And the same one wrote this that wrote 1 John. But notice John chapter 15, what he says in verse 18 and what Jesus is saying. And uh, John 15, verse 18, Jesus said this, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And you were, if you were of the world, but the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, if the, ser- the servant is not greater than his Lord, if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. And so the Lord says, don't be surprised when the world doesn't like you. Look at chapter 16, verse 3. He says, and these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. So the world will not treat us the way they should. They'll not respect that we're the sons of God, that we're loved by God. That doesn't mean anything to them. We're unknown to the world, but that's all right. Let's be willing to live a life unknown by the world, who we really are. You see, Moses, the Bible says, had, had the privilege of raising up and being raised up in Pharaoh's house, and maybe he could have been the, the next Pharaoh. But it says Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of of life for a season. He was willing to say, that's all right. You don't realize who I am. You don't realize what God has in store for me. I'm going to identify with the people of God. The Bible says Jesus suffered without the gate. What does that mean? Well, they didn't let respected people be... uh, be judged, you know, inside the city of Jerusalem. So they would thrust him outside the gate. He was a criminal. He didn't deserve to be inside the gate. And so he suffered without the gate. And the Lord says in Hebrews, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. It's okay if we're unknown. And let's live that way. Let's live as people, even though we're unknown by the world who we are, let's be true to God. And then also notice in 1 John chapter 3, we should live as, as hopeful people. Look at verse 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know 
that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're hopeful people. Maybe things aren't going well for you, but you know how it's going to turn out. (laughs) Maybe you've had a bad day. Maybe you've had a bad week. Maybe you've had a bad year. Maybe things aren't going well, but you know how it's going to turn out because someday you're going to be with Jesus and someday you're going to be like him. And the Bible says, we have not yet arrived. We have not yet arrived. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. It should not bother us that the world does not know who we are because they don't know what's coming. The best is yet to come. We're going to be like Jesus. Disappointments shouldn't control our lives as Christians because we know how it's going to turn out. And we should not be overcome by the, by the disappointments of life because we know how it's going to turn out. And that is someday we're going to be like Jesus. We know we'll be like him. Chapter 3, verse 2 says, Well, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now that's hope. We know we shall be. Hope is assurance that something is going to happen because God promised it. That's hope. That's Bible hope. We know it's going to happen because God promised it. God promised it. We know. And he says we have this hope. Every man that hath this hope in him, we have the hope of someday being like Jesus. Now this is told to us several times in the scripture. Let me read some of them to you. Romans chapter 8. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. What glory? We're going to be like Jesus. We're going to have a brand new body. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed to us. Let's say we're going through physical pain or physical suffering or physical infirmity. And uh, maybe we're not able to do what we used to do. And maybe we're not like everybody else. We can't function like everybody else. The Lord says, I want you to remember, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. It'll be so good someday that it won't be even worth talking about what it used to be. It's, we're going to be like Jesus someday. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 49, We shall bear the image of the heavenly. We shall bear the image of the heavenly. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We shall all be changed. This corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. Death will be swallowed up in victory. So we're going to be changed. We're going to be, uh, we're going to have a brand new body like Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. We look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. He's going to change our body. That's coming in the future. Now, your loved one who's died and knew Jesus as their Savior, maybe they've been gone for a while. Maybe it's your mom or your dad or your brother or sister or your child or whoever it might be. They don't yet have that glorified body. In fact, they're going to get their glorified body when you get yours. And that's when the rapture takes place. And the Lord will change our, li- our bodies immediately if we're alive. And then those are the, whose bodies are dead, he'll raise those bodies from the grave and he'll change those bodies. And so they'll be changed first, then we'll be changed, and we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's going to take place. And that, that heavenly body is going to be ours someday. We're going to have a glorified body. Now, that means physical and spiritual things that we're going to experience. 
We're going to be like Jesus. We won't be God. We won't be like him in that way. But we'll be like Jesus physically. That means we'll have an incorruptible body. What's that mean? Well, it means it'll never break down. You'll never get a headache. You'll never lose a tooth. You'll never lose your hearing. You'll never lose your sight. You'll never lose any of that. Your body will never break down. You will never get a wrinkle. You'll never get old. You won't break down. Incorruptible. That brand new body is incorruptible, and that is coming. And we should live like that. We know that's coming. We have that hope that's coming. Uh, The present problems are not going to discourage us so much because we know it's going to get better someday. We know that. And so incorruptible, immortal. That means we'll never die. Death is swallowed up in victory. We will never die. That brand new body will never experience death. We'll live for eternity in that state forever and ever and ever and never get old. That means there'll be no sickness, no pain, no death. We'll not be stopped by any barriers. Jesus showed that when he walked through the walls. That's why he came out of the tomb. You know, they rolled the stone away to let people in to see that he wasn't there. But he'd already left. He'd gone through that stone and walked through it. He showed that when he appeared to the disciples and the doors being shut, he just walked in the room, walked right through the walls. And he did it the second time as well. The doors being shut, he just walked through the walls. Uh, no barrels will stop us. It's, un, it's hard to imagine what our glorified body is going to be like. But that's coming. It's coming for us. We live as a hopeful people because of that. Therefore, we don't need to worry. We don't need to envy what somebody else has because we're going to have everything someday. And it's going to be great. We don't need to, we don't need to fear Uh, The best is yet to come, and so we don't need to be troubled about that. I like Psalm 37, and uh, let me read read some of it to you. Psalm 37 mentions that victory that we're going to have. It says this, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Don't compare yourself to other people and envy what they have. Don't compare yourself to other people and envy what uh, they're able to do and you're not able to do. The Lord says, don't worry about that. Someday you're going to be perfect forever and ever and ever and ever. So fret not thyself because of evildoers. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee desires of thy heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, he'll bring it to pass, and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as a light, and thy judgment as a noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his ways, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place. It shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just, and gnasheth upon him with their teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, he hath, he, for he seeth his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword, and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, and to slay as such, and be of an upright conversation. 
their sword shall enter into their own heart and their bow shall be broken, their bow shall be broken. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. The Lord says, don't worry about what you don't have, what other people have. Don't fret about that because in Jesus, you have everything. You don't need to worry. And so we should live as people who are hopeful. And then we should live one other way, and that is as pure people. As pure people. As loved people, as privileged people, as unknown people, as hopeful people, and as pure people. Notice what it says in verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. What does that mean? Well, it means no sin. Now you say, is that possible that we can live a life free of any sin? Well, it's probably not very probable that you will do that. (laughs) But it's sure possible for us to live with a lot less sin than we think we have to have. (laughs) In fact, you should be able to go through the day and look back and say, I can't remember any time I did something that was really wrong. Can't remember when I displeased the Lord. I mean, you might have, but you can't remember it. And uh, you did your best to do exactly what God wanted you to do. You didn't get mad when you shouldn't. You didn't say something you shouldn't say. You didn't think a thought you shouldn't think. We should desire that kind of life. We should desire to live a pure life. The Lord wants us to do, do that. Every man that hath this hope in him, what hope? We're going to see Jesus. And when we see him, he's going to change us. And we're going to be made exactly like him. And knowing that can happen, knowing that can happen at any time, he says it has a purifying effect. Knowing we will see Jesus and be like him gives us a desire to be more like him right now. I mean, if you knew that tomorrow at 8 o'clock in the morning, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to change you and you'll be perfect throughout all eternity. You'll have a brand new body. It'll, it'll be a body that's incorruptible and immortal and uh, never sin. It's perfect, and it'll be that way for the rest of eternity. Would sin today have any appeal to you at all? I mean, would, it, would we have any desire to do something wrong when we know that tomorrow we're going to be perfect forever? I don't believe we would. In fact, we, when we face Jesus if, and to know that he told us that we're going to be this way, we're going to be perfect, and we face Jesus and realize that, Lord, yesterday I did this and did that, and I was putting up with this sin and that sin, and how foolish I feel right now when you've changed me completely and made me pure. The Lord says we should live lives that are pure, Because he's coming, we should live as pure people. Following Jesus will produce purity. And we see that in the Bible in various places. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers... 
For what fellowship hath the righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And for ye are the temple of the living God. As, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's true of us. God dwells in us. He walks in us. He's our God. We're his people. And wherefore he says, Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Touch not the unclean thing. Say no to sin. I mean, just don't entertain. They say, well, you know, is there anything really wrong with it? (laughs) Well, if it's something that's not clearly right, I mean, just avoid it. Just don't do it. Don't dabble around in questionable things. Just say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to see Jesus someday. And so we desire to be pure. Titus 2 says that the grace of God, God teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should, live, we should live righteously in this present world. The grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live righteously in this world. We should live as pure people. You see, Jesus is coming. He's coming back any moment. We can see him, and it might might be very, very soon. So keep that thought in mind. Jesus is coming back. Today, I might be a perfectly pure person throughout eternity. I'll have a brand new body. I'll be like Jesus. I'll never sin again. Today, it could happen. So since it could happen today, how should I live right now? Standing before Jesus, based on 1 John chapter 3. Someday we'll stand before him, our Savior who died for sins, and find that we have been changed, transformed without and within. Changed fully to his likeness, just like he promised to do, and question why we blocked him as he worked to make us new. Why were we not more loving, more like him who loved us so? Why did we we live so timid, though our sonship we did know? Why sought we the world's approval, the enemies of our Lord, forgetting our blessed hope, guaranteed us in his word? He promised we'd be like him. The best was yet to come, but we were caused to envy. Pleasures that now seem so dumb. Why why did sin seem appealing? He wanted us to be pure. Like him someday he'd make us. He promised, so it was sure. Dear Lord, since that day's coming, remind me that it is sure. Work in me, mold and make me a servant who will meet you pure. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for this passage that tells us that we are very loved. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And Lord, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when you appear, we will be like you, for we shall see you as you are. And may this hope that we have in us cause a purifying effect to make us like you want us to be, every day in our life. Make us more like Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.